All right, so on your outline here, continuing part two of our study on patience, titled The Impossible. Last week, we looked at, in point number one, the recap, we looked at how patience is essential for our success in walking with Christ. I mean, we looked at that. That's what John 15 is all about. We need to bear fruit. And as you cross-reference that with Luke chapter 8, you can't bear fruit unless you bring it forth with patience. Not only is it essential to our success in walking with Christ, but it must come through testing trials and tribulations. The intro last week, I kind of mentioned this to you guys, how it, what was very, very unique about this character trait is that all of the others that we've covered so far, they're proactive. You take the initiative to add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance. This one is reactive, a catalyst. Something has to happen first, trial, tribulation, time of testing. Something has to happen first in order for you to then react by adding patience to whatever it is you're going through. This is where it's very, very unique. It takes a little bit of a change of course from the other three that we looked at. It has to come through these things. And when you do, you need to let that trial have its perfect work. I know we don't like it. Nobody likes, you know, you ever think about, you ever heard of a phrase, a crucible? A crucible is something that you're, you're trying to mold something. So you put it into this little, uh, uh, I believe it's like a pot of some kind, and you have to heat it up and then you press it in in order to forge it and mold it into the shape you want it to, to go into. That's what we are to go through whenever we're going through testing. It's God forging us and making us, conforming us rather, into the image of his own son. We should see that, uh, I think, uh, no, it's actually a different message. I think I'm getting my Wednesdays confused. Or maybe it's next Sunday. All these messages are starting to run together for me. Because they are all running together. But, point number two. This is kind of a continuation from last week as we dive into today's message. Before we get to the applications, before we look at how this applies, biblically speaking, who are people that went through extreme trials and testings. But point number two, we need to see that patience works itself out in a different way. That's why we need to guard our reaction to individuals who test our patience. Amen. Whether it be in here, whether it be in our homes, whether it be in schools, whatever the case is, we need to guard our reaction to the individuals who test our patience. Because, as I've mentioned ad nauseum in here, you can't control people's actions towards you. In fact, just like a trial or just like adding patience to your faith, a lot of it is outside of your control. What people say or do to you, it's outside of your control by and large. You can't control what they do. You can, however, control your reaction to them. So instead of looking at this passage in Matthew 18, I wanted us rather to look at uh, a story that I think will help us to see Matthew 18 a little bit clearer, as told by children. One day, Peter was walking and he saw Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, how many times do we have to forgive? A little? <laughs> no. And generally in 20? <laughs> Whoa, that's a lot. I know that is. That kind of reminds me of the Lord's Prayer. Forget, forgive others as forgive others as I'm forgiving you. We will forgive our debtors as I will forgive you. 
Captain Lord's prayer. <laughs> and Jesus said, need to tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was a king, and he said, you, he said to his servant, you had to pay me lots and lots and lots of money. Now give me it. <laughs> I don't have any. <laughs> then I will send your, then you must send your whole family out to slavery and give me the money that you can owe me. No, no, please, 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 please. Mm. I'll do anything. Actually, can I see you with that? Go ahead. Let it go, let it go. Okay, I will forget. I will forget. <laughs> and then the servant said, Thank you, you're the best king ever! And he went jumping up and jumping up and down. And then he, when he went in outside, he saw somebody who owed him a little bit of money. He <laughs> grabbed him by the neck and, and, and shaked him around and said, You will owe me all that money that you that you own me. Stop joking! <laughs> then the main old man told the little guy to pay you. You will pay me a thousand and twenty dollars or else you will be thrown in jail. <laughs> then he said, please, please, please forgive me. No way! Now give me all the money. Two pennies is not that much at all. A lot. Right, two days. Or 
if there was forks, you could just poke the eyes and get some water. But there was no forks and spoons in they're taking some creative liberty with the actual passage. This is what it's like in jail. Then the king said, when I, if I forgive you, why don't you forgive the other people? Then Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brothers and sisters, you, God won't be happy. Since he forgives you, you should forgive other people. Is that right? <laughs> Do you guys have any idea how badly I want to make one of these with Wyatt? So I thought that would be a little cute way to intro the passage. Well, we're not going to read the passage because they did a pretty good job of it. But one thing I did want to highlight, you guys just listen to this. When it came time for that parable and uh, the master goes to the person who owed him money, the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And of course, the Lord forgives him. He goes out to the person that owed him money. And the person that owed him money, the fellow servant, fell down on his feet, besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not. You see, patience is tied with forgiveness in the Bible. Especially for people who wronged us. Especially for people who owe us. If we're the innocent party, and they owe us the forgiveness, they owe us the apology, and we don't get it, could go out and put him in a chokehold, or I can let it go. I'm not going to sing it. So guard your reaction to individuals who test your patience. Letter A, in keeping with that, we need to be more patient towards each other, specifically us around here, like-minded believers. First Thessalonians, look at chapter 5. Hopefully you're already there. Follow me in verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, your pastors, your deacons, your disciplers, your leaders, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Uh, this is talking about fellow believers. It's not talking about the lost world. That's the point I wanted to see with that context there. Verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren... Warn them that are unruly. There are people who maybe they're tied in with some sin or they're tied in, they said something that they shouldn't have. You know what? We got to have the boldness to be able to approach our brothers and sisters in Christ in love and warn them that this road that you're going down is not going to bode well for you. Warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. The weaker brothers in Christ are people who they get disturbed very, very easily in their walk. We need to comfort them. We need to be looking out for people who are in need of comfort. And then he says, support the weak. The weaker brethren, people who aren't as far along in their walks as we are. Case in point, junior hires. As they're going to be coming up into high school and their lives are going to be forever changed when they hit high school. And then he says, 
How does he end verse 14? Be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. So yes, it does apply to everybody that is in our sphere of influence, lost and saved, but the context here is overwhelmingly towards the saved, overwhelmingly towards your brothers and sisters that are in this very room, that are in this church, your parents, if you are in a godly home. Be patient with them. We need to be more patient towards each other. Why? Because we got work to do. That's where you look at the entire context of 1 Thessalonians. This was a hard-working church. You know, something I haven't mentioned in church history is that all seven letters of church history, they actually have a corresponding letter that Paul wrote in the New Testament. Because there's actually seven letters that Paul wrote to churches in the New Testament. I don't know if you knew that or not. But when you actually broke it down, you know, yeah, you first, second Thessalonians, that counts as one. Uh, and the same thing with Corinthians. This church, the, those in Thessalonica, actually, no, I'm sorry. I was going to say uh, Phil, or Philippians is lined up with Philadelphia, the Philadelphian church period. I actually don't know what Thessalonians is. Scratch that. Sorry. I thought it was Philadelphia. But they were a good church. There was a lot of positive things going on with them. God had a lot of good things to say. So did Paul. They were a hard-working church like those in Philadelphia. All right. Scratch that. Kind of applies, but it kind of doesn't. I was wrong. It's Philippians. But be patient more towards each other. That's the point. Uh I need a volunteer to go over to Ephesians chapter 4. The rest of us are going to turn over to Psalm 37. Sam, Ephesians 4. Are you there, Sam? Yeah. Read the first three verses. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I love it. And it ties perfectly in with what Pastor Tom was talking about in the main service last week. You have the first three chapters of Ephesians, which is all talking about the wealth that you and I have as Christians, being in Christ. We have the unsearchable riches of His Word in Romans 11. We have the Holy Spirit of God permanently sealing us in Ephesians 1. We have each other, and that's the point he's making here in chapter 4, is that now that we have these riches, let's walk worthy of them. Let's actually do something with the wealth that we have. And he's saying here that we need to endeavor in love towards each other. So that we Read verse 3 again. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. To keep the unity of the Spirit. We all have a common mission of seeing the lost saved and the saved to grow in discipleship. That is our end goal. That is our mission. Everything else either supports that or is a distraction from that. So everything godly that's going on it is to help support that very mission that you all have. Anything that comes against that, it's just merely a distraction to stop you in the work. This is what we're seeing in church history on Wednesday nights. We need to be able to discern and we need to be able to depersonalize spiritual warfare. What do I mean by that? In Ephesians 6, who do we wrestle against? Is it flesh and blood, each other? No. It's a spiritual warfare. So if you are fighting with somebody in your midst another believer, whether in your own home or in here, depersonalize it. 
see, pull back the curtain and see what's really going on here. Why did I all of a sudden get so bitter towards that person because of what they said about me? Well, yeah, it's human to have that reaction if somebody is talking about you behind your back or saying things that are true, but man, they're just not being very gracious and loving about it. It's understandable to get ticked off about that, but if you take the time to just stop and think, is this really something worth getting upset over? Is this really worth holding a grudge over? Is this really worth me getting distracted from my mission and the unity that is supposed to be going on amongst us? We need to contemplate these things regularly and depersonalize spiritual warfare. It's happening amongst all of us, and it's Satan's goal every single day of the week. Every single day. He's not taking a day off. Now, in Psalm 37, this leads perfectly into letter B. Not only do we need to be more patient towards each other, but man, we need to be more patient towards the lost. I've struggled with this for the last couple of years now. As I see society and I see our country just going more and more down the tubes, and it just seems like, man, more people than ever want nothing to do with Christ anymore. Want nothing to do with Him, and they're just falling more and more into debauchery and all kinds of sin, and people's hearts are just getting harder and harder. I'm kind of like, man, you know what? Okay, cool. I'll go and I'll save up enough to get property and land far enough away, and the first thing I'll do is build an awesome backstop so I can just shoot guns all day long and then get a nice little farm and get a nice little crops growing and then uh, get some steel plates for my backstop and my gun range because, man, there is just nothing like shooting some steel out of a two-two-three round on your AR-15. It's just nothing like it at all, that sound, that ping. I'll do that. And I'll live happily ever after away from society. That's been a struggle of mine the last couple of years. Where I want to be closed off and just have that kind of land and just ah, the quiet and peaceable life. After all, Paul talked about this in Timothy. To live the quiet and peaceable life. Only that's not the context in which he meant it. That was actually something I, I talked with Brian Brown about um, this past summer, he and I went for a nice little walk in the moonlight and in the desert in Mexico. And I just shared something with him, and it was beautiful because it tied back into the first conversation I ever had with him back in 2011, the first camp that he had. And, uh, you know, kind of let you guys in on a little bit. Uh, you know, just talking with him about um, ministry and just the idea and the opportunity that presented itself here. And I just told him, I was like, you know, Brian, Stephen has talked with me. We've had a meeting every January for the last four years now, where he's asked me what I thought about coming into the senior high as a replacement for him. And for the last four years, I would tell him, I'm not your guy. I'm too old. I don't feel like I have any connection anymore, and I don't know if I'm as passionate about it anymore. And uh, part of the reason was because I bought into the lie of the quiet and peaceable life. Because I'd be so fed up with the world. And I thought, man, there's just... We're, our time is coming so close to the end. What's the point anymore? And man, did it ever get exponentiated during COVID. Where I'm like, man, we're getting all closed down. This is just preparation for the Antichrist and the tribulation period. We're done. Our time is numbers. Like, what's the point? Bought into the quiet and peaceable life. And it was something that he reminded me about. Brian Brown. First conversation that I ever had with him that was just really deep and personal, he had shared with me, he's like, you know, he's like, uh, there's something in 1 Corinthians 7 
And we'll touch on this whenever the Lord leads me to do biblical relationships. I don't think we're going to do it this summer, but whenever we do, I'll touch on it. 1 Corinthians 7 talks about those that are single. Man, you know what's awesome about being single is that you can stay focused on the things of the Lord and you can get things done and accomplished for Him that you don't have to worry about when you're not single. Because when you're not single, whether you're dating or you're married, you're now caring for this person. You're looking out for their needs. And Brian shared with me that uh, when he and Heidi first started getting together, he's like, um, it was kind of interesting that there was a little bit of my fire that, and my flame that went out. And I kind of got, not that I stopped walking with God, not that I stopped serving God, but that, that fire and that passion of that single-mindedness where you're just able to go, 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 and not stop and not consider, oh, wait, I'm with somebody else now. I have to look out for their needs. And I need to spend time with them. That little bit of that fire, that, that going, that, that constant zeal, it kind of went out a little bit because, and that's not, it wasn't a slant against her, it's just something that happens when you get into a relationship. You lose a little bit of that. But, I know for me, where I wasn't careful, was that after Heather and I got married and we started to settle down, we kind of did fall into that kind of a, well, let's build our family. Let's get a house, and let's live the quiet and peaceable life. We're not going to stop walking with God. We're going to keep serving Him. But that was part and parcel where I was kind of going with this, because, man, a desire to reach out to the lost, I figured, no, time's done. God's coming back literally this year. What's the point? So be careful. And stop being impatient with the lost. Point being, Psalm 37, look at verse 7. He says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of Him who prospereth in His way because of the man who, who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Verse 9, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth for yet a little while and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider His place and it shall not be. I find great encouragement in knowing that even David was fed up with the lost. Man after God's own heart, he was even tired with the way that things were going. And he's like, what's the point? What's the point of even trying to witness to them, given how just decrepit mankind is? And he's sitting here pouring his heart out to God, casting his cares upon him because he knows that God cares for him. Turn over to Psalm 73. Oh, beautiful psalm. The entire psalm of Psalm 73, it's Asaph looking at, why do the wicked prosper? Why is there no punishment for them? Why does it seem like the wicked get everything they want and there's no punishment for it? They're literally getting away with murder every single day and God just doesn't seem to care. Seem to care. Look at verse 17. Actually, verse 16. He makes this whole entire case. God, do you not know what they're doing? And he says, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until, verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors? You know, it would be very easy for me to get so angry and impatient with the lost until I spend time with God 
in His dwelling place, and I'm reminded of what their end is. Until I'm reminded of the fact that they are going to die and perish forever in a separation from God where they are in the flames of the lake of fire forever. That is their end. When we spend time with God, when we go into the sanctuary of God, we will understand their end and it will cause our hearts to change. It will cause what we think is the will of God for our lives personally to change and be in line with what He wants for us. Yeah, it's funny, like I still kind of grapple with the, uh, the idea of, am I too old for this? And even Brian, he mentioned that. And he was like, man, it makes total sense what you had shared about what you were struggling with because uh, um, he's like, I, honestly, I thought you should have been doing this years ago. I'm like, I know, but I bought into the quiet and peaceable life. I bought into the whole mindset of, hey, I'm here every Sunday. I'm here every Wednesday. I'm teaching Sunday school. But the other days of the week, just let me chill out. I'll be, I'm fine with teaching and edifying people who want to be here, people who want to hear truth. But for years, I struggled with wanting to have anything to do with the lost, with wanting to love on the lost. And it took years of God having to weed these things out of me personally, having to clear out those branches that weren't bringing forth any fruit and purging me of that stuff. Do you need a purging of that? Are you fed up with school and the people that you're surrounded with? Man, get in the sanctuary of God. Be close with God and you'll understand their end. And He'll help revive that love and that patience for the lost. Why? Because in letter C, consider how long Christ has been patient with you. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 30. We're not going to read all 18 of these passages, but man, I really do want to paint this picture for you guys. Isaiah chapter 30. He starts off by warning the Israelites, do not go down into Egypt. If you go down into Egypt, you will be going down. What's Egypt a picture of again? The world. You go down into Egypt, man. You go down into the world to seek the world's counsel, to get the world's advice, to become worldly. You are going down in your walk. He warns them at that in the verse two verses. Then he goes on to talk about those who were enjoying and didn't want to hear from God. They, they, they didn't care at all for the things of God, didn't care to be in their Bibles, didn't care to come to activities, didn't care to be amongst other like-minded believers. And he says, uh, look at verse 13, I love this. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. One of the first houses Heather and I looked at, in the basement had this bowing wall. It was a finished basement, but the wall was just completely bowing in where the backyard was because the backyard was all a downward hill. And I could just tell, I was like, oh, cement block should not be doing that. This is not going to go well. Eventually, it's going to break and I'm going to have a mess on my hands. That's what he's talking about here. You, God might be patient with you just like He was in Psalm 73 where you're getting away with all this wickedness building up all of the sin in your life and if you're not dealing with it, be careful because in an instant, all of it might come crashing down on you because of what you've built up of not walking with God. He says, He shall break it as the breaking of the potter's vessel, verse 14, that is broken in pieces. He shall not spare so that there shall be, not be found in the bursting of it a shred to take fire from the earth or to take water withal out of the pit. He'll, he could take away everything in your life and leave you with nothing. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning 
and rest shall ye be saved. He just wants his people back. He doesn't want them living worldly in Egypt anymore. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. And ye would not. They made the choice to stay worldly. They made the choice not to be patient. They said, no, we will flee upon horses. Therefore shall ye flee. And then you come down to verse 18. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that what? Wait for him. You know, I, I mentioned last week to you guys, I, it was my feast when I was in high school and, and I, I had that commitment to be single unto the Lord. Those verses, all these verses about waiting upon the Lord and waiting upon Him and He shall renew your strength. He shall strengthen your heart. They were my, my bread and my butter in high school for just trusting God. Okay, God, I'm, I made this commitment unto you. I'm going to wait to date. I'm going to wait until you bring someone along. And I'm going to be strengthened in the midst of that. I Don't correct, or correct me. What am I trying to say? Don't quote me on this. I might be wrong, but I think this might be the only verse in the entire Bible where it talks about God waiting for us. This is one of those verses where you stop and you just ponder. And you let it sink in just how deep of a verse this really is. Because we know that God knew us before He formed us, Right? In our mother's womb, He formed us and He knew us, it says. And He's all-knowing. So you know that that goes back further even before that. He was thinking about us on the cross. He knew that one day, you were going to be born and you'd be hearing what He did for you to pay the price of all of your sins. But it goes back even further than that. Because He's all eternal. He's been waiting for you since before time even began. He's waited in eternity past, before He even created the earth and the heaven. You were on His mind. And He was just thinking, Oh man, I cannot wait for the day when Brandon hears my voice. When he hears what I did for him on the cross. He was just saying, I cannot wait for the day when Gracie hears the gospel. And that moment when she chooses to receive me, oh, I can't wait. Since eternity passed, he's been waiting for the day. Take it a step further. When you're going to be meeting with him tomorrow morning for your quiet time, oh man, I can't wait to share with Brendan what it is that I've been wanting to show him. Oh, it's been going good right now in the couple of, oh man, tomorrow's chapter. I can't wait for him to get the truth that's in that because it's going to change his life. He's been waiting. He's been waiting with anticipation forever. And maybe there's some of you in here where he's waiting still. When are they going to get serious about me? When are they going to take their walk with me seriously? Haven't I waited enough? A.W. Tozer, he had a phrase where he said it, the guy who wrote Pursuit of God, he said, Christ waits to be wanted. 
He's waiting to be wanted by you. For you to come to a meeting with Him just as excited as He is to meet with you. He has been patient with us. We need to consider that, remember that. Uh, James 5 Verses 7 and 8 says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman, Christ, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and the latter aid. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Be ye patient unto who? Each other and to the lost. Sam, are you still in Ephesians 4 or no? No, but... You know what Ephesians 4 32 says? Be kind tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ for God's sakes, or as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That's huge when you think about just how long he's been patient and forgiving of you. Soak that in. All right. That was the last thing I wanted to say about just looking at patience overall. Now let's look at some applications. We need to first anoint our eyes with, man, is there anybody who can knows patience in the trials of the Lord like Job? I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine, what? I seeth thee. He anointed his eyes. He now has vision. He sees what God wants from him, and he's made a full resolve to do what God is asking him to do because he sees God now. He heard of him. All 40 chapters he heard from him, but now he sees clearly what God wants from him. Turn over to Job chapter 23. And I'm telling you guys what, I know some of you are going through the thick of it. Whether it's a major trial, like a crisis of belief, where I'm like, how on earth am I going to get through this? Or even just a minor, and I say minor one very gently, you know, maybe it's something that it's just people that are just, ugh, and you have to be patient with them. That It's not like a major life-altering trial like Job was going through. Either way, if there's anything that needs patience, you're there. But maybe there's some of you in here right now where it's like, man, things are going pretty good. Uh, like I said, put up your dukes because the fight's coming. So hold on to these things, hold on to your study sheets, and have these in reserve for when that does come, so that way you're not blindsided by it. But in letter A, are you having a hard time, for those of you who are going through a trial right now of anything or a testing, having a hard time seeing God through the trial you're in? Well, take heart, because so did Job. It's common. It's so easy for us to be focused on our problems rather than the problem solver. It's very easy. We're flawed. We need him. Look what he says in verse 8, Job 23. Behold, actually, look at verse 3 for context. I forgot about this one. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, he says, that I might come even to his seat. Now jump to verse 8. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. Sight, vision. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. Now, you and I know the answer to this. Is that true? No. But it seems like it at times. You might feel as though God's not listening to you, that he's not involved in whatever it is you're going through, but is that true? No. Although it might seem like it at times. Uh, can I get uh, two volunteers? Uh, Psalm 10 
And then I'm gonna have you turn to 13 in a little bit. And I need one for James 1. Dustin, James chapter 1, you're gonna to go to. The rest of us turn over to chapter 13 of Job. And again, Job's not the only one. The man after God's own heart himself also. Carson, go ahead and read Psalm 10, 1. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? But why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? And chapter 13, the first three verses. Listen carefully to these. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the mm. sleep of death. Lighten mine eyes. That's a great way to follow it up. It's okay for us to talk to God like that in prayer. If you don't know what he's, what he's doing, I told, I've shared that with you guys before. God loves those kind of boldness in our prayers. But make sure you follow it up with, God, just lighten mine eyes so that I can see. I don't sleep the sleep of death, so I don't actually miss what it is you're doing in my life. More on that by the end of today's lesson. But I take great comfort in knowing that even the man after God's own heart struggled with these very same things too, where it seemed like God wasn't there. He wasn't listening, wasn't doing anything. So that's letter A. Letter B, you know what you do if you're having a hard time like that or you can't see him? Endure cheerfully, which is the very definition of patience we saw last week. And you will find that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. You guys are in chapter 13. Look at verses 15 to 16. Here's Job's response. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I will maintain mine own ways before him. I'm not going to wander. I'm not going to be tossed as a wave to and fro. He also, don't miss verse 16. He also shall be my salvation. For an hypocrite shall not come before him. In other words, Job understood, man, I don't really get it right now, and it seems like he's not here, but I know that this is going to come to an end. I know that this too shall pass. This trial is not going to be forever. My salvation or the, the rest and the peace from this, it's coming. I just have to endure. I just have to weather the storm. Also, more on that coming in a little bit. Dustin, go ahead and read James 1.12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tired, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. And he continues in James 5.11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord. Did God not deliver him, and then restore twofold everything that he had lost? You've seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. We have to get our eyes off of the problem and onto the problem solver and see that there's something, there's a reason as to why I'm going through this. God, what is it you want me to see? What is it you want me to know? Lighten mine eyes. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear with the messages on Sunday mornings and Wednesdays and my own personal quiet time, but I need to see what it is clearly you're highlighting for me, where you want me to go as a result of this at the end of the line. Turn over to Job 42. Oops. How did I end up in Matthew? Job 42. Verse 
Sam, can you go to Hebrews 10.34? Yeah. Uh, Kendall, can you go to Galatians 6.2? Look at verse 10 of Job 42. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his... What? Friends. Yeah, remember those miserable counselors of his that we just touched on Wednesday night? Miserable, a word that's used to describe Laodicea, the church age we live in, church period we live in, rather. Yeah, when Job prayed for them and had patience with them, uh, God ended his captivity. Maybe that's what you need to get out of the funk you're in. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Letter C, while you patiently wait, consider others and what they have been through and are going through. Sam, Hebrews 10, 34. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. You see, the people that Paul was writing to, they were patient with him, they considered his bonds, and they helped him out of the trial that he was going through. Turn over to chapter 13. You, sorry. Kendall, can you read Galatians 6 too? You want to fulfill God's will for your life? You want to do what the Bible says? Bear one another's burdens. If you see somebody going through the thick of it, reach out to them and minister to them. How can I be praying for you? Maybe it's something they're going through that you just got done going through yourself or are still going through. And you might be able to share things with them that will help them out as you bear a burden with them. Sam 13.3 Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them and them which suffer mm. adversity as being yourselves also in the body. <laughs> because you're part of the body collective. We need each other. If one member hurts, we all hurt, Paul says. If one part of the body suffers, we're all suffering. If one part of the body is rejoicing, hey, my friend got saved, we ought to all rejoice. That's that unity of the Spirit he's talking about in Ephesians 4 we looked at. That's what's needed. And also, 1 Peter 3, 8, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as what? Philadelphia. Be pitiful, be courteous, consider others. That's what he's getting at here. Why? Because consider Christ. Consider what Christ went through. How he endured a contradiction of sinners against him in Hebrews 12. Mark down Matthew 25, 34-40 and look at it later today or this week. And letter D. What did Job see at the end of this? That this trial... It brought about purity and the partaking of his divine nature. That's the end game. That's the end goal of any trial or testing you're going through. Look what he says in chapter 23, verse 10. He's talking about God, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as what? Gold, purified, more mature, more like Christ. That's what a trial is for. Man, 1 Peter 1, 7, we looked at that before. The, the trying of your faith is more precious than gold which perisheth. And then, as a reminder, we're getting this list in 2 Peter chapter 1. Remember verse 4, God says that He gave us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. That you might be partakers of the divine nature. When you are going through a trial, you are partaking of what Christ experienced when he went through the cross. And not only that, you are becoming more like him. You're becoming godly, godliness, godlikeness, which is something we will look at next week. Because that's the next character trait that flows out of patience in 2 Peter 1, verse 7. That's Job. That's the point of the trial. It's something that God has established since before the foundation of the earth. More on that next week. Point four, a double dose of patience. Second application, anoint thine eyes with Mark chapter 6, verse 50. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. What's going on here? Well, to end, let's turn over to Mark chapter 6. For those of you coming to the outreach study, you will see the John parallel passage of this, this coming Tuesday. I love this passage in Mark, though. You know what's going on in Mark chapter 6? At the very beginning, Christ sends out the 12 disciples on a missions trip. On a missions trip for them to go serve their Lord. And man, as we've been talking about in the Mexico training, there's a lot of attacks that come not only before a trip, not only on the trip. And you can hear about that in the Gospels also. Yeah, we tried casting out these devils, but they didn't go. And there were some people who were preaching Christ, and we had contention with them because they weren't preaching like we were preaching it. Yeah, there's trials that happened during the trip, but man, oh man, are there trials that come after. Be sober, be vigilant. And not only do we find that uh, they had those trials, but specifically find out that their dear friend, John the Baptist, lost his head. He was martyred, and they were worn out. They were exhausted. Look at verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and what? Rest, Rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. Man, when you're going through it, do you not just crave some alone time with Christ? Do you not just crave some time like, oh, you know what, I've just been serving and serving and I've just been running ragged. School has just been kicking my teeth in and we're getting prepped for VBS and we're getting prepped for Mexico and there's just all these things going on right now. I just need some time with God. Lord, please, just let me go away someplace privately and let me just speak with you and you speak with me and I need one of those like mountaintop experiences just you and I, please. It's a good reaction to have. You know what we see in letter A? The trials of patience will often bring about fatigue. Happens. You get worn out from serving God. The disciples were worn out from everything they were doing. And you know what you need? You need some respite. You need some R&R, rest and relaxation. You need to be with God and let Him re-strengthen you. But you know what ended up happening? Plans didn't go as they wanted to. People saw them living in a ship and they decided to follow Christ because He's the Messiah and Christ was drawing the lost to Him. 
put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. I just got done serving. I just got done doing all of this work. I want some rest. I don't want to come back and get serving again. I need some time to recharge. I need some time with God. And Jesus says, I have compassion on these people. They need me. Go out and let's get some bread. Let's get some fishes. I got some moves I got to make. I got some miracles I got to do. And so, you know what we find in verse 35? Follow along with me. When the day was far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is the desert place. Now is the time. It's far past. Sorry, I didn't realize I was going to read these passages. So I already summarized it. Christ is saying they have nothing to eat. Go out and let's, let's get them. He asked them to serve again. And you see in letter B, we must guard against this burnout so that we don't serve God out of duty. I'm trying to find the actual verse that they... Uh, oh, verse 36. This is the disciples speaking. They say, send them away that they may go into the country round about and in the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. The disciples didn't want to serve. They were so fatigued and worn out from just serving. And they're like, God, we don't want to. But we know the story. Do they not end up serving? Do they not end up going about and giving the bread and the fishes to the people when Christ performs this miracle? Yeah. But it was out of duty. Bible says in 1 John that uh, the commandments of the Lord are not grievous. When God asks you to do something, like maybe last minute as we're about to go out of here, uh, Amanda Ashton comes up to you and says, Hey, I need one of you guys to please jump in with the kids. Sorry you're going to miss main service, but I need someone. Things like that happen all the time. What's your reaction and your attitude like? Are you like, oh, goodness really just wanted to sit and hear the main service message. I didn't want to go and be with whiny, screamy little writer and deal with that. All right, fine, I'll do it. God's going to bless me because I'm doing it. No, that's duty. His commandments are not grievous. Instead, it should be like what Psalm, I believe it's Psalm 40 or maybe it's Psalm 38. Read both chapters, you'll find it. And you'll get a blessing out of it. Where he says, I delight to do thy will. That's what it should be like. But the disciples, they're worn out, they're burnt out, and now they're serving God out of duty. Now jump down to verse 45. And straightway, after the feeding and everything, he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, where, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come the evening, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He was far away from them, but he knew exactly what was about to happen. He may seem like he's far away from you, but he knows exactly what's happening. Verse 48, And he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. They're in this storm. And they're rowing to try to get out of this storm, this trial. And they're working hard to try to get out of it. But they just keep going in motion, doing the same thing every single day, thinking they're going to see results to get them out of this storm, to get them out of this trial, this time of testing. And the wind is so strong that they end up going nowhere. And they're going nowhere fast. Let her see. When you choose to serve God out of duty, you will get nowhere fast, and it will affect your vision. Again, you're in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a storm. 
it's hard to see God working. We're going to see that here in just a little bit. Actually, verse 51. Or no, sorry. I didn't even finish verse 48. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. Christ was walking on the sea, and they were so busy focusing on their problem, focusing on their trial and their storm, they didn't see their Messiah, the Lord, walking on the water. And a little tiny detail, a little tidbit that you don't get in the Gospel of John is that Christ would have just kept on walking, and they would have missed Him. Their vision was impaired because they were serving God out of duty, because they were fatigued during the trial they were going through. They weren't looking for the problem solver because their eyes were so transfixed on their problem. If you're going through something right now, be looking. Be looking for that fourth man like unto the Son of God in the fiery furnace with you. That He doesn't pass you up. That He doesn't I've seen it happen. It's happened in my own life where the trial will just kind of stop or the, the suffering or the, 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 the testing will kind of go away. And then months or weeks later, I'm like, what was the point of that? I never actually stopped to consider it. What did I learn from that? Nothing. Because he passed by. Because I wasn't willing to look at him during the trial. Verse 51. When he finally tells him, when they did see him, as we saw up here on the screen, he comes up into the ship... And the wind ceased. When Christ gets into the ship, the storm stops. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Verse 52, here's the kicker. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was what? So we see they served God out of duty with the, the loaves and the fishes. And then we see their impaired vision of not seeing Christ on the water. You know what bridges the gap? You know what happens in the middle of that? Letter D. What bridges the gap between duty and lack of vision? A hard heart. When you take for granted the things that God is doing in your life, when you take that for granted and your heart becomes numb and callous to what He's doing, you will not have vision. Your eyes will not be anointed to see what He's doing and where He's going to take you. Mark it down. Mark it down. Any, you're making a major life decision coming up here, declaring a major, considering a relationship. You better make sure your heart's not hardened. Are you serving God out of duty? Are you fatigued? Are you not getting uh, the rest that you need and the time with God that you need in His Word? Shore those things up before the storm comes. Verse 53, And when they had passed over, they came to the land of Genesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew Him, and watch what they did next. And ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they heard He was. You mean the disciples who were fatigued 
just a little bit ago from the mission trip they just took. The disciples who were fatigued and now emotionally distraught because they just lost their best friend through persecution, John the Baptist. You mean the disciples who were ticked off and mad at the lost and were impatient at the lost and their needs? Those disciples who were so fatigued by them that they were just serving God at a duty, they have the energy to, man, book it throughout the entire area, bringing people to Christ? Yeah. That's what happens when you go through a trial of patience. Because tribulation worketh patience, and you're being conformed into the image of His dear Son, you are being more like Christ when you are more like Christ, you will have a heart and a passion and you will see people, you will look at people the way that God looks at them. And you will have a holy energy in spite of your fatigue, in spite of how tired you are, in spite of the rest that you crave with Him. You'll be able to do things beyond your strength. Because that's what godliness is. More on that next week. The letter E... They didn't consider the miracle of the loaves. You, in letter E, you need to look out for the trail of breadcrumbs in your life so that you don't miss Jesus. Let's pray.